Um, you know, I've just so grateful that we're taking a little pause from Luke in exploring Advent season together in the series that we're entitled The King Who Came. And as we jump into this morning, I want you to think through various catastrophes because I want to bring you all so much joy. Um, think through the, maybe the past lifetime that you've had and the difficult things that have gone on in the world. September 11, 2001, the murder of George Floyd, the subsequent rioting, the droughts and wildfires in wars in Ukraine and now Israel and Palestine, famine in um, Somalia, drug cartels in Mexico and exploiting the poor in South America, on and on we could go. And it's really easy to look at these things. We can go back even further, right? We could do the surprise bombing of Pearl Harbor. We could do the, the Great Depression. We could think about mass migration from Europe to the United States looking for a better life can think through the various events as they've unfolded in the world. And we could sometimes wonder, man, where is God in this? Or if that's not your question, maybe you've wondered like, well, what is God going to do with all of this? Or why does he seem so far away? What is he going to do to fix it? And if you don't ask those questions about the things that happen in the world out there, maybe you ask those same questions about your own life as you think through the marriage that started off with so much joy and promise, now on the rocks or ending in divorce, or the kids that you have with, that you had so much anticipation for, so many things that you longed for them, hoped for them, and they're disconnected from you now. Maybe it's your sin inside of you, and you see the ongoing struggles you have, things that keep recurring. You're like, man, what's God going to do with all of that? What, where is he? Is he going to make it right? Well, we're going to jump into a text in the book of Jeremiah this morning. Uh, and it's, it's a dark time in the, the, for the people of God. It's not, a, it's not a time of rosiness and of, of great hope for them. And as we said last week, Advent begins in the dark and moves towards the light. Well, we're going to see, once again, we're going to step into darkness, and we're going to see that the God who comes to us is the God that comes for us, that, that when we're writhing in pain, we don't have a God that ignores us, but a God that moves toward us and for us. So if you haven't grabbed your Bible yet, go ahead and do that. Turn to Jeremiah chapter 23, and we're going to look at the first eight verses together. Is what God's word says. 
Woe to the shepherds who destroy and scatter the sheep of my pasture. This is the Lord's declaration. Therefore, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says about the shepherds who tend my people. You scattered my flock, banished them, and have not attended to them. I am about to attend to you because of your evil acts. This is the Lord's declaration. I will gather the remnant of my flock from all the lands where I banished them, and I will return them to their grazing land. They will become fruitful and numerous. I will raise up shepherds over them who will tend them. They will no longer be afraid or discouraged, nor will any be missing. This is the Lord's declaration. Look, the days are coming. This is the Lord's declaration. When I will raise up a righteous branch for David. He will reign wisely as king and administer justice and righteousness in the land. In his days, Judah will be saved and Israel will dwell securely. This is the name he will be called. The Lord is our righteousness. Look, the days are coming. The Lord's declaration when it will no longer be said as the Lord lives who brought the Israelites from the land of Egypt, but as the Lord lives who brought and led the descendants of the house of Israel from the land of the north, and from all the other countries where I had banished them, they will once more dwell in their own land. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Jesus, as we turn our attention to you this morning, would you, by the Holy Spirit, so point us towards Christ? Would you cause us to see how beautiful the sending of Christ was for us. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Two points uh, to work through our text this morning. Quickly, uh, their problem and our problem. Their problem and our problem. We've dropped into kind of the middle of the book of Jeremiah, and the people of God are in a difficult place. They're facing at least three predicaments as we, that we see in our passage here. The first is, the people of God had terrible leadership. First words in this passage, Woe to the shepherds who destroy and scatter the sheep of my pasture. God is calling out the leaders of the time for being people who were bad leaders. They failed God's people. They've not watched over them. The text said that they hadn't tended to God's flock. They haven't watched over them. They haven't served them. And even though Israel had some good kings from time to time, there were some bad kings over and over and over again that misled the people of God. And how did they mislead the people of God? Well, in at least two ways. The first way that Israel at the time, the people of God, had bad leaders was that these leaders led them into idolatry. And idolatry, if you're unfamiliar with the Bible, is worshiping false gods or setting up things to be higher than God. These leaders, instead of, instead of helping God's people turn to God, worship the one true God, be devoted to him, worship him as, as he prescribed in the law, the first five books of the Bible, well, These kings often adopted the practices of the people around them, and they merged the worship of the one true God with false gods. And they did this over 
and over again. And the people of God just followed along with it. Earlier in Jeremiah, God would condemn his people saying this, for my people have committed double evil. They have abandoned me, the fountain of living water, and dug cisterns for themselves, cracked cisterns that can hold no water. So God is condemning his people because they abandoned him. They ran away from him. God is condemning them because they they turned from him and they instead they tried to fill their lives by with other things. And God calls them like broken cisterns, broken water pots that can hold no water. And he compares himself as being the one that can ultimately provide life for his people. And he says, well, instead of following me, you just keep turning to things that are just cracked. They're empty and you turn to them. So these people were led poorly and they followed poorly. They forsook the one who gives life. They went looking in all the wrong places for things that could satisfy them. It's the problem for the people of God then. And if we're honest, it's our problem too. So often we run to things other than God to give us what only God can give. We look to things to provide what only God can So the leaders failed them in this way, but the other way is that they rejected the poor. Elsewhere in Jeremiah, just the chapter before, it says this, it says, are you a king because you excel in cedar? Didn't your father eat and drink and administer justice and righteousness? Then it went well with him. He took up the case of the poor and needy. Then it went well. Is this not what it means to know me? This is the Lord's declaration, but you have eyes and a heart for nothing except your own dishonest prophet shedding innocent blood and committing extortion and oppression. God is condemning a leader for, for not being like a previous king who, who's, who acknowledged the poor, but being like a king of all, like all of the nations around them who committed extortion and oppressed people. So we can see that kings in this day were not that great. They didn't act justly or fairly or wisely. And this is just how things went in the ancient world. Kings would come. They would exploit, oppress, conquer. And some had varying degrees of tolerance for God's people, but this was just the way it was. And people were often hoping that God would provide something, some relief, some king that would do the right thing, that would lead the right way, that would lead with justice, that would fix the problems. And every four years, we do the same thing here. Would someone just come fix the problem? Every four years, half the country rejoices. Half the country mourns. We wonder. And are things going to get put right? If you ever want like a a check on this, like our progress is really slow. I I watched the West Wing, which was filmed in like early, late 90s, early 2000s. And it's the same problems. It's unbelievable. Same problems 20 years later. 
And we keep hoping, would somebody put things right? Every two years, Congress turns around. We're like, maybe they'll get something done. And we put our hope and we wonder, was this about fixing things or just about power? Well, the results of the failed leadership then and the result of the sin of God's people, of just abandoning him and of walking away from him, of following in that way, of not worshiping him properly, is that they've been scattered. Look at verse 2. It says, you have scattered my flock, banished them, and have not attended to them. People of God used to be together. God led them together out of Egypt, where he, in a great display of power, led them out of Egypt and simultaneously crushed the Egyptians. And now, if you looked at where God's people are, They're no longer together in this text. They are just scattered about. They're not together with one another. And even amongst themselves, there's different factions. And you have to wonder, if you were there in that time, if you would be asking, what's God doing? Where is he? Why does my life in the lives of God's people look so in shambles. They were disconnected from one another. They were disconnected from their God and they were scattered. And not to allegorize the text too, too much here, but I think we often feel the same way. Apart from Christ, we, are, we spend our lives looking for meaning and belonging and a place to be home and settled with people. We look for relational wholeness and we always come up empty. People of God have bad leaders. They're scattered. And they're in exile. They're exiled. To be exiled is to be occupied by foreign rulers. This is where they were. Far from God. Far from one another far from home. And friends, apart from Jesus, this is exactly where we stand. Apart from Christ, we stand in exile, away from the God who made us, knows us, and loves us. Apart from Jesus, we we are scattered and fragmented. And apart from Jesus, we are being ruled by the prince of the power of the air, as Scripture says. We, we are under Satan's influence. Apart from Jesus, we are, we are dead in sin. We are exiled from the God who made, knows, and loves us. And we long for God. This, this inner longing, this being desperate for home, of being desperate for things to be put back right again, is an echo of the way that we were made and the way God made the world when he first made it, which is good and perfect and whole. And we long for that. And we look around the world and ask, when will justice be done? How long will we have to wait for God to put things back together? And we hope that someone will fix it. And we have a similar problem as the people of God. We're far from him. We've sinned. We've turned from him. 
we're scattered. We commit idolatry. We worship other things. We forget the poor. And our exile isn't physical, it's spiritual. And what does God do with that? What does God do with his people in this state? Well, the answer is that he's their rescue and that he's our rescue. Because it turns out that God does not leave his people this way. Instead, he provides a rescuer. He promises a rescuer in this text. He promises a perfect king to deliver and to put things back right again. And his deliverance is far greater than the people at the time could have even imagined. And we see that he is a king who is promised. Last week, we looked at Genesis 3.15, the kind of first gospel in the Bible where God promises that from, from the woman would come one who would crush the head of the serpent. That first promise. And then we would, if we were to just keep moving through the Old Testament, we would see that God promises to Abraham descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky. And then if we fast forwarded through the Old Testament even more, that God would promise to David that there would be someone on his throne whose reign would last forever and ever. And if you're the people of God and you're kind of holding on to these promises and looking at your circumstances, you're thinking, these don't match. Messed up. But God promised a king. And in the middle of their sin, in the middle of their abandonment of God, in the middle of their exile, in their scatteredness, God says that he sees it and that he is going to do something about it. He sees their pain. He sees their affliction. He sees their exile. And he sees they're looking in all the wrong places for the ultimate solution. And he reaffirms that promise to David that a righteous branch, this is verse five, that when I raise up a righteous branch, he promises it. He promises to send them a king, a king to rescue them and a king to rescue us. You see, so often we think that we, that the situation we find ourselves in or the situation that the world is in is too far from the reach and the love of God. We might look around and say, God is, could not make anything out of what I'm in. God could not make anything out of me. I have offended him too much. I am just too far gone. My marriage, too far gone. The world, too far gone. But God says in this that he still has a plan to rescue And it's through a king. It's through a good king. And what will this king be like? He'll be a king who is just. Look at verse 5. He says, He will reign wisely as king and administer justice and righteousness in the land. God promises a king who will administer justice and righteousness. He is not like other kings. All throughout history, we have seen rulers who didn't act with justice and righteousness. My wife grew up in another country, and I think in one day, I think she said they have like eight different presidents in one day. And often there was leadership turmoil because they would just get into power, 
take money and flee. Rulers abuse their power in gross ways. Think of all the places where there's turmoil. Ukraine, Russia, Hamas, North Korea, Yemen, Venezuela, Haiti. Rulers who abuse their authority and hurt their people. But God promises that this king will not be like those kings. He will not abuse his authority. He will not mismanage his authority. He will not hurt other people. He will be a king who acts wisely, who reigns wisely and administers justice and righteousness. Everything he does will be true, right, and good. That sounds like a great king. That every ruling he makes, every edict he has will be to benefit, serve, and prop up justice and righteousness. God promises a king who would not be like these other kings. He will be a king who makes things right in the world. He rules wisely and justly because he is also a king who is righteous himself. And what does to be righteous mean? Righteous means in right standing, that he's pure, he's holy, that he's right before God, that there's nothing nothing tarnished or tainted about who he is. He is a king who is righteous. God promised a Messiah, a deliverer for his people, who would come and not be like the corrupt kings. He wouldn't be manipulative. He wouldn't He wouldn't make promises he can't keep because he's righteous and he's a king that never sins. And friends, Jesus comes as the king who is righteous. Not a single fault is found in Jesus. Look at this small snippet from scripture. It says, Peter, he says, he did not commit sin and no deceit was found in his mouth. John would say, you know that he, that is Jesus, was revealed so that he might take away sins. And there is no sin in him. Then Hebrews, whoever wrote that, said, for we don't have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in every way as we are, yet without sin. God promises a perfect king, and Jesus comes as that perfect, righteous king. He comes, and if he is all of these things, if no sin has been found in him, if he has been tempted in every way, if he really identifies with us, if no deceit is found in his mouth, then he is trustworthy. He is trustworthy. You can trust him in what he says. He will not mislead you. He will not do you wrong. He will not speak out of both sides of his mouth. There is no sin found in him. And not just that. He sees you in the temptations because he faced them himself. This is King Jesus. He comes perfectly. He's wise in how he reigns and righteous through and through. And he's promised here as a deliverer of his people from sin and oppression. 
and that he comes to gather them up again. But he'll do that in a way that no one quite expected because this king is not just righteous, but this king will be our righteousness. Because the king that comes to us is the king that comes for us. Look at verse 6. God says, In his days Judah will be saved, and Israel will dwell securely. This is the name he will be called. The Lord is our our righteousness. The Lord is our righteousness. Jesus isn't just going to be called righteous, but he will be called our righteousness. Righteousness. How does Jesus, how does King Jesus begin putting things right in the world? He begins by putting right the people in the world. He doesn't just come to fix everything that's broken out there, though he will do that. But he starts with fixing the brokenness that lies in here. You see, God, we want a king that that will just come and put everything right. But what Jesus does is so much greater because he comes to gather a people who have been made right. We want someone to take away all that is wrong in the world, the oppression, the abuse, the bullying, and Jesus promises to do that. But how he starts his campaign of making things right in the world is by getting people right with God in the world. He starts with making us right. Not a renovation of the world, but a renovation of our hearts and a transformation. We always want to fix everything out there. And there is most definitely a place for justice and doing justice. But Jesus comes and starts by fixing what lies within. You see, God's people could not atone for their sins. They couldn't make themselves right with God. They've proved over and over and over again that no matter how hard they tried, they always fell short. They always replaced the fountain of living water with broken cisterns that can hold no water. Find themselves far from God because of their sin and by what they have done. And God promises in the middle of that mess and in the middle of our mess that someone would come and make things right for us. You see, you cannot make yourself right with God. No matter how many self-help books you read, no matter how many good things you do, we are regularly sinning against a holy and just God. We can't make ourselves right. We can't clean ourselves enough. We can't fix the world around us. But Jesus has come. Jesus came as the true and better Israel, the one who would make Israel right, who would take the sin of the world and the sins of God's people upon himself. He the righteous one would become our righteousness. Peter says, he himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. Paul would write, 
He made the one who did not know sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. How is Jesus our righteousness? How does he make us right with God? Well, he makes us right with God by taking our sin upon himself and giving us all of that righteousness. He bears our sins and he gives us his righteousness. God is putting the world right through Jesus. But he starts by putting us right with God. God is putting the world right through Jesus, but it starts by putting us right with God. He alone is our righteousness. And if you've never trusted Jesus before, you need to hear that he's come, that the king promised in Jeremiah is now, has now come, just as was predicted. He came, and his own mother and brothers thought he was God. And if that's not saying something, I don't know what does. His own mother and brothers thought he was God, thought he was who he said he was, knew there was no deceit found in his mouth. He is worth trusting, and he alone is the one that makes you right with God, not by what you've done, but by what he's done in your place. And for those of you who followed King Jesus and who wonders about the world out there and who wonders about your life in here, you need to know that because he is your righteousness, you are not condemned. You are not condemned. Paul writes in his famous verses, he says, therefore, there is now no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. For what the law could not do, since it was weakened by the flesh, God did. And then it says, he condemned sin in the flesh by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh as a sin offering. God condemned sin and the power it has over you in the death of Jesus. Your sin has been taken on by Jesus Christ. He crucified sin when he crucified Jesus. You will not be condemned. You stand with the righteousness of Christ. You stand hidden in Christ, who is your righteousness. You stand secure. You can live life secure. No matter what's going on around you, you can live life secure in the love of God. Why? Because God condemned sin in the flesh of his son. Second, you need to know that in a broken world, your suffering is not final. King Jesus is our righteousness. And this king, like like God promised back here, came and rules with righteousness and justice. In one day, he will come back and finish the project he started and put all right with the world again. That wholeness you long for, that, that deep desire for, for relational wholeness, for, for, for wholeness in the planet, for, for justice to be made. Jesus promises in himself that he will bring that to fruition. And your present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed 
in you. Your sufferings are temporary. They will not get the last word. Jesus will. And then finally, and related to that, when you begin asking about the brokenness all around, and you begin asking about the brokenness within, you need to remember that promise that Jesus will reign with righteousness. He will fix all that is wrong. The passage in Jeremiah concludes by God drawing his people from the nations back together. And Jesus has come to draw a people for himself from all nations. And the picture of the second coming of Jesus is one where God wipes the tears from our faces and said, I've made everything new. That is the hope of the king, our righteousness. And we are right with God because Jesus is our righteousness. Advent, Advent begins in the dark and moves towards the light. The king who came to us is the king who came for us. He has made us right with God. And because of that, we can have hope in the world, peace with God, and peace with one another. Each week we declare that the righteousness of Christ is enough when we partake of symbols, symbolizing the broken body and poured out blood of Jesus, who took our sins upon himself so that we might live, who, who bore our sins so that we might have his right standing, his righteousness. And so friends, we remember this when we come forward each week, that Jesus is enough and that the king is our righteousness. In just a minute, um, I'll pray. We'll be people up front. You'll come to the front, take a piece of bread, dip it in the, in the juice, and head back to your seats. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, knowing what it would cost him to make us right with God and to make the world right again, he took some bread and he broke it and said, this is my body, broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, after supper, Jesus took a cup of wine and he said, this cup is the new covenant sealed by the shedding of my blood. Do this in remembrance of me. For every time you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And so we take and we expect him to come again. Let's pray.